0: This is the Bridge Church Podcast, an audio ministry of the Bridge Church, a Nazarene community in Oahu, Hawaii. Please visit us in person or check us out online at bridgenaz.org. We hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. God bless. Mahalo. so good. We're grateful for the little ones among us, and we pray that the scripture would be planted deep in their minds and deep in their hearts, and that it would, over the course of their lives, blossom. Spirit, thank you for being in us and among us this morning, stirring our hearts and enlivening our minds. Jesus, this morning, we desire to know you better. We desire to know your story more intimately. So we pray, oh God, that you would help us in that way. We devote this time to you, Lord. Have your way among us and with us. We pray these things together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everybody said, Amen. Well, good morning. That was kind of kind of like frail good morning response. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm a little I'm a little frail this morning myself. Um, So if you didn't get the usual hug or whatever from me. I'm trying to keep my distance a little bit with the earache and a throatache and congestion. But it's it's good to be here this morning, uh, nonetheless. I was wondering, uh, have y'all heard the one about the taxi driver? No. All right. So one day, a man was in the city and he flagged down a taxi. And when the taxi pulled up, uh, the man got in the back seat. And he was on his way. In a few minutes into the ride, the passenger in the back seat, um, he reached up to the front seat and uh, he tapped the driver on the shoulder to ask him a question. And when he tapped the driver on the shoulder, the driver freaked out. Uh, he began screaming, ah! He sped up, he lost control of the car, he nearly hit a bus, he swerved up onto the sidewalk, he nicked a fire hydrant, and he stopped a foot shy of a window diner or a diner window and for a second everything went silent in the cab and then the driver after catching his breath said sir don't ever do that to me again you scared the daylights out of me and the passenger apologized saying he didn't realize that a little tap on the shoulder would scare the driver so much well the driver replied it's just that Today is my first day as a cab driver. I've been driving a hearse for the last 25 years. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of speeding, that's a horrible transition. Uh, if you're up to speed on the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in a really short series titled Vintage uh, Christmas. And you also know that The idea behind this short series is to recover elements from our Christmas story, particularly the original Christmas, so that we can maintain them and guard them, right? On the flip side, uh, this also means that we're also interested in eschewing or doing away with uh, mythology, whether uh, historical mythology, cultural mythology, or even just evangelical mythology, Uh, that is encroached upon our Christmas story, that has crept in. And so we began Advent by recovering Jesus' birth date. And last week we sought to recover Jesus' birthplace. And I've heard numerous folks come up to me in sort of amazement and and shock, um, kind of astonished that this is the first time some of y'all are hearing some of these things. And on the one hand, as the pastor here, I'm... I'm glad that the truth of the scriptures are affecting you in positive ways. On the other hand, I'm a little sad, right, that that things have become, our story has become so misunderstood and so incorrectly taught. So today, I'm going to continue on my track trying to do a little bit of Christmas myth busting, right? So we've got three things that we're going to consider, and you can see that up on the screen here. The Magi, Santa, and... Xmas, right? We want to recover these three things. We're going to start with the Magi. This is one of the most, like the most, this is one of the most misconstrued stories in Scripture, and particularly with regard to Jesus's birth, right? I can think of about a dozen things immediately that come to mind that are that are wrong about the way this story is told. So here you go, Derek. We were talking about this last week, the Magi. But I want you to think about that, right? A dozen things immediately come to mind, or a dozen things have moved in on this part of Jesus' story and have encroached upon it, right? They've actually reshaped this part of Jesus' story. So uh, you can see here, that's a little hard to read, but you can see the things up on the screen that I'm thinking of. Twelve myths about the Magi. That there were three, that they were wise men, that they were kings, that they were from India, Persia, and Africa. That one may be a little less known, but that their names were Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. That one also may be a little less known, but it's it's out there. Um, that one of them was assuredly black. That they visited Jesus at a stable, and if you were here last week, you know my beef with that. That they rode camels. That they followed a moving star that they gave Jesus birthday gifts, that they were Jewish, and that they were all men. So these are 12 myths, right? A close look at the text of scripture shows that none of these things are mentioned in the text. Not a single one of them. It does, however, tell us what really went down surrounding the early days of Jesus's childhood. In fact, The text of scripture tells us not that the Magi showed up at Jesus' birth, but perhaps when Jesus was about two years old. They didn't visit Jesus in a stable, but they showed up at the family home. Again, if if you missed last week, I encourage you to watch that sermon or listen to it. But they showed up at the family home, and they brought gifts fit for a king. Uh, This may actually have been a different family home than the one Jesus was born in. Our Christmas presentation this morning uh, did a pretty good job of getting the story right. Um, right? But I, I just want us to look at the text this morning. It's a bit lengthy, but it's worth the read. So we're going to read all of chapter 2 of Matthew. right? Matthew 2 in its entirety this morning, which gives us the whole story. It says this. And actually, as we go along, I'm just going to stop and take a couple breaks and, and comment as we read through these verses. So, Here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi came from the east to Jerusalem. So note again, that these are not wise men. Uh, There was a particular word for wise men in Greek. It was sophio or sophos, right? These were the philosophers. Uh, That is not what they're called. They're called magi. They're also not called kings, right? Which, there was a word for that in Greek. They are magi. Uh, they are astronomers, uh, perhaps priests in the ancient religion known as Zoroastrianism. And there's your word of the day, by the way. It isn't in your bulletin, but if you want to write it down, Zoroastrianism. right? Z-O-R-O-A-S-T-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. So Zoroastrianism is your word for the day. But note also that they're, uh, they go to Jerusalem. Right, not Bethlehem, which is about six miles away, um, and so this is also important. Right, they look at the last line: from the east they came to Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem's about six miles away from Bethlehem, and that that's important. Let's go on to the next verse and ask: Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So what I want you to note about this is that it's the first sighting of the star, right? Its appearance at its rising. And this occurred, as the text suggests, when Jesus was born. This means that the Magi were not there at Jesus' birth. They were not there at Jesus' birth. They came later. and It also means that they weren't following a star the whole way. They ended up in Jerusalem, after all, not where Jesus was. They ended up in Jerusalem talking to Herod. And then Herod talked to some Jewish scholars, and then they pointed them to Bethlehem. All right? So the next thing, next few verses. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, or in Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So note again that we have a reference here to the first appearance of the star. It's not been hanging around in the sky for two years, uh, waiting to sort of try to guide these guys. Let's keep going. He sent him to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So this raises the question, right? How did the Magi come to find out Jesus was in Bethlehem? Well, the Magi, they were not Jewish. The text here tells us that Herod told them where to go, right? The text is clear about this. That Herod told them where to go. And it appears that he shared with them what the priests and the teachers of the law told him. Right? So that's important. Next verse. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And this text, it gives us no indication, contrary to songs and art, that they were riding camels. As, as innocent and inconspicuous as this may be, uh, as far as inserting it into the story, the text never, ever tells us this. They could have rode donkeys. They could have rode horses. They could have walked. Right? Nothing gives us any indication that they were riding camels. You know, this is just some mythology that's crept in, as harmless as it may seem. Next verse, or continuation of that verse. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And so here we have the second appearance of the star. And we see that it wasn't guiding them for two years, right, from their home or their land for that in the entirety of the journey. It's portrayed here as a miraculous event where the star does in some way lead them to Jesus' home the second time that it rises or appears. All right, let's keep going. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So notice here that they came to the family's house. They're, they're not at a stable. This is much later, likely years later. As we learned last Sunday, Jesus wasn't born in a stable anyhow, right? Um, I'm so glad our Christmas play didn't have a stable up here Um, but like the birth story the visit of the magi takes place in the family home note too that while there are three gifts that are mentioned there's no mention of how many magi were there right likewise we we don't read of their ethnicity we don't read of their nationality uh, we don't read of their sex male or female for all we know it could have been three women Right? But we can't prove that either. Their names aren't given as well. Their names aren't mentioned either. That's an invention that came later in history. A guy by the name of the Venerable Bede. Uh, a lot of people trace the origin of assigning them names back to him. But, let's keep going. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So this right here uh, is where we reason from that at this point Jesus is possibly about two years old. So it's about two years after Jesus' birth. And we conclude that the Magi visit Jesus and give him these gifts when Jesus is about two years old. This is what the text tells us, right? Not at the birth. And what happens in our our retelling of the Christmas story is that we often conflate these two years into one scene. Let's continue. This is a little lengthy. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so, um, you can see that the story, right, gives us all the details that we need. Uh, Others have come along throughout history and have added things to this story. Matthew 2 is good enough. We don't need to be adding to it all the time, right? Matthew 2 is good enough. Unfortunately, some of our earliest preachers in the Christian tradition, some of our earliest authors, some of our earliest theologians, did just those kinds of things. And in some cases, the mythology that they introduced into the story has stuck. So I'm trying to unstick some of that stuff, right, after the fact. And while the early believers are often trustworthy, Right? These early Christian thinkers, authors, preachers, theologians, they're not without the possibility of error. So we have to read them closely. We have to read them carefully. We have to measure whatever they have to say against what Scripture says. But the point remains, we have to be careful when we read Scripture. We don't want to be importing all kinds of things into the story. We have to be careful about that. We have to be careful when we notice others doing so. Right? So we don't want to, to take a word, last week's word of the week, or was not No, last week's was Septuagint. But that word, fabulate. We don't want to fabulate. We don't want to make up fables, right, and in- inject them into the Christmas narrative. So we're going to move on to the next thing then. we got the Magi. We've recovered them, hopefully. We're going to move on to Santa. And I want to try to recover Santa this morning. Now, it's been said, it's been said that there's a reason you can take the letters of Santa and rearrange them and get Satan, right? That was supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh about that. But, um, I don't agree, right? It's just a, it's kind of a funny coincidence. So like many of you probably, I grew up in a context where this the mythical Santa, the Santa, you know, more in line with the Coca-Cola fame, was celebrated. I grew up thinking Coca-Cola Santa would come into the house while I was sleeping, right? Right. Um, and I, I turned out okay, I, I think. I, I kind of turned out okay. Um, but as a parent myself, uh, I've always tried to, to be transparent with my kids. And I, I want them to know the truth about Santa. I want them to know this, that St. That Nicholas actually was a real person. He's a real dude, a real person. I want them to know that St. Nicholas, or St. Nick if you want to shorten it, was a person with a rich role in church history. And that that part of the story is like all but gone in our culture. I want to recover that. Unfortunately, right? The mythical Santa swallows that up. Right? The mythical Santa swallow. And what I find sad is that church history gets sacrificed in the name of mythical Santa. The reality is this. Saint Nicholas really was a man and he really was a generous man. He was known for his charity to the poor. That's why he has the word saint in front of his name. He became a saint, right? He was a good Christian thinker, a theologian, right? Someone who desired to protect the church's teachings. And those two things about him, they're like never, ever taught during Christmas time, uh, right? Because the mythical Santa swallows that up. But there are also stories, I bet you didn't know this, there are also stories about this real St. Nicholas raising people from the dead, right? Uh, Calming a storm. Anybody ever heard that? Not a hand up, exactly. History tells us that St. Nicholas was a pastor. He was a pastor of a church in a little town called Myra, and he's he's often known as St. Nicholas or St. Nick of Myra. It's been reported that he even faced imprisonment under the empire because of his faith. We don't hear that part about St. Nicholas.
1: So, I mean, honestly,
0: right, what a better example than the myth Santa that we all hear about. This generous, gift-giving figure who loved God, who loved the church, who was a pastor, who sought to protect the church, and who is known to have worked wonders and miracles. But there's more. I love this. As a churchman and a theologian, there's a great story of St. Nicholas. He attended a church conference. And it was in the year 325 CE or AD, however you want to do that. When he went to this church conference in Constantinople. And there was this heretic there named Arius. And uh, Arius was at this conference. And Arius was teaching and arguing that Jesus was not co-equal with God. But that God created Jesus, and therefore Jesus was lesser than God. And this infuriated St. Nicholas so much that right in the middle of this church conference with these pastors and theologians, St. Nicholas stands up and punches Arius in the face. Right, right in the middle of, see, you, you want to tell your kids about this. Now, right? for some of you, uh, that's the Santa you want to tell your kids about, like the MMA Santa. Right? And by the way, right? Santa is just uh, another way of saying saint, if you, you didn't know that. Um, but here we have a, a defender, like a real defender of the faith, a defender of Orthodox historical Christianity, and someone whose story has been so whitewashed that it resembles nothing of reality. This is the Santa that I want my kids to know about because history is very important. And his example, other than punching people in the face, is quite amazing. It's quite amazing. Right? Obviously, I can't, I can't uh, make anyone do anything. I can't make anyone agree with me or subscribe to what I believe. Some people hold on to the cultural myths so tightly that, unfortunately, it becomes a contentious issue in the church in some places. So hear me when I say this. If you want to hang on to the mythical Santa, that's your prerogative. Um, I would hope, however, that you would consider how it might, how it might just be detrimental to the rich history of the church. Because we have a rich history there. I don't contem- condemn those who believe in the Coca-Cola Santa. Uh, I, I don't. I um, uh, Neil, I think, was going to uh, play Coca Cola Santa or maybe the real St. Nick for better him than me, right? Um, I don't want to get up dressed up in that hot thing, but I, I don't condemn that. It's fine. It's fine if that's how you want to roll. But I think at Christmas, we can seize a golden opportunity to share with our culture and our children part of the real story of St. Nick. So we are reliving. The things that Saint Nicholas, the real Saint Nicholas, like, stood for. Uh when, when we have people dress up as Saint Nick, and the kids come and sit on his lap and he asks what they would like for Christmas. We can take this as an opportunity uh, to recover some church history. Right? Um, so I, I think we should work to recover the story of jolly old Saint Nick, the saint who punched a man in the face for bad theology while he was attending a church conference board members don't get any ideas Um, So, we've discussed the magi we've discussed saint nicholas and i have one more item i want to address and this is the one i'm most excited to talk about this morning xmas xmas this one may surprise you this one may surprise you all right in our culture it's true that christians it's true Christians are certainly feeling cultural and societal pressures. I want to submit to you, however, that one of those things is our own fault. It's our fault. And I would suggest to you that uh, it is because, as with our own propensity to allow church history to be whitewashed, just like with St. Nick's story, the same kind of thing has happened here. And out of our own lack of knowledge of church history, follow me here, this is the one I want you to like dig in with me on. Out of our own lack of knowledge of church history, many have bought into a recent cultural war, the so-called war on Christmas. I think we do that out of a lack of our knowledge of church history. This isn't a battle worth fighting. This isn't a battle worth fighting. It isn't even a battle worth entertaining. Right? Some have errantly presumed that by saying something like Merry Xmas, for instance, that Christmas is under assault. It's not. It's not. I mentioned last week that I, I attended the school Christmas pageant where my kids go. It was littered with errors, the school Christmas pageant. In fact, the entire pageant was premised on this very thing that Xmas was basically a war on Christmas, and that we should refrain from saying it. Otherwise, we're sort of participating in the undoing of Christmas. And what's interesting to me, friends, is that saying Xmas is very much in keeping with historic Christianity. Very much in keeping with historic Christianity. And what's also interesting is that some who are ready to go to bat for mythical Santa. Are also some of the loudest when it comes to not saying Xmas, and frankly, that's a massive contradiction in terms. Let me explain why. All right, as Christians, we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. You can look up here on the board, right? The the title Christ in Greek is Christos. You can see it on the right over there at the top, Christos. Now, the first letter of the title. Of Christ's name is the Greek letter Chi. It looks like the X up there. Some wrongly say Kai, like in the fraternities, but it's Chi. That's the correct pronunciation of it. Christos. Right? And what the earliest Christians did, stay with me here, what the earliest Christians did, in a kind of Jewish sense, was abbreviate the title for two reasons. One, to signify that it was a holy name. Christos. And two, to save ink and space when copying or writing manuscripts of Scripture. And what they would do is that they would write the first letter and the last letter of the name, and they would put a line bar over top of it to signify its significance and importance. And they did this for Jesus' name. You can see that on the left there, Iesus. Uh, They did this for Jesus' name, which begins with Iota and ends with Sigma. Right? It becomes an abbreviation. Yota sigma becomes the abbreviation for Jesus. Just like chi sigma becomes an abbreviation for Christos. Following me here, yes? Yes, very good. So to say Jesus Christ in Greek, uh, in the Greek manuscripts, they would write Yota Sigma, Chi Sigma. Right? And that saved a lot of ink, it saved a lot of space, but it also sort of designated these names as holy. Right, so sometimes in the manuscripts they could even shorten this uh, the letter iota sigma to just an iota or the letter chi uh, sigma to the letter chi right? so a single letter and so uh, they did this for the name God Right, they put a theta sigma theos uh, they did it for the spirit which is the Greek word pnevma, begins with the letter p and ends with an alpha so it would be p-alpha Right? And so if you look up here, this is uh, an example uh, with Jesus Christ. And by the way, I bet you that there isn't another single church on the island this morning that are looking at samples of ancient Greek manuscripts. But here you go. Right? This is pretty cool. Right, I'm stoked that I can do that here. I think it's kind of special. So you look at this. Right? This, this is from a historical Greek manuscript. And you can see what's happening there. They've abbreviated Jesus' name, Jesus, and then Christos, right? And they put the line bar over top of it. The S there, the sigma, looks like a C. That was just a different way to write a sigma. And so this is where we get, this is where we get the abbreviation Xmas from. From church history, from our manuscripts. This is long-standing in church history. We've been doing this since the beginning, right? We've been doing this for thousands of years. The Greek word for the fish, you can see the little fish symbol down here on the bottom of the screen. Some of you may have this on your car. The word for fish in Greek is ichthus, right? And you can see the letters down there inside the little fish symbol. That spells ichthus. If we take them out and put them at the top of the screen, you can see the abbreviation here. The early Christians turned this into a symbol, Ichthyus, the fish. The iota stands for Jesus or Jesus. The he stands for Christos or Christ. The Theta stands for Theou, God's. Uh, the Upsilon stands for Uyos or Son, and Soter, Savior. So that fish symbol means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Right? We've been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. This is a part of our heritage. This is a part of our rich history. But our Christian history is lost on many of us. It's become so whitewashed and so forgotten. And as a result, we can even subscribe to and buy into these wars that something like Xmas is an assault, an all out assault on Christmas. It's not. We're the ones who started that. Right? So. As I've said in the last uh, couple of weeks, and I, as I want to reiterate here, the details matter. The details really, 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 truly matter. They do. Because our story matters. This story matters. Knowing the details can save your credibility in conversation. I was preaching here at Radford High School on Friday to a group of students, at uh, 7.15 in the morning. And I was going through some of this Christmas stuff with them, and one of the students, why does this matter? Right? And that's what I told them, because your credibility's on the line. If you're going to get the details wrong, then nobody's going to trust you or believe you, and they're certainly not going to trust or believe the story. Your credibility's on the line. The credibility of the gospel's on the line. Knowing the details can spare you from getting into unnecessary culture wars. Knowing the details can enrich your appreciation for church history, whether it's talking about the letter key, the fish symbol, or St. Nicholas. Knowing the details can save your kids from heartache when they they find out the truth about Coca-Cola Santa not existing. Knowing the story helps you prevent others and even yourself from whitewashing it. Knowing the story should make you want to maintain and want to preserve it. Knowing the story should give you a greater appreciation for studying Scripture. And most of all, knowing the story, knowing the details, should draw you deeper into God and deeper into God's story. And that's my hope for you this morning, that during this Christmas season, the reality of the details that come to matter to you because they matter so, so much. There's a cost to the church when Christians don't know the details of the story, when they don't know the details of their history. There's a cost to the church, a cost to you personally, a cost really, truly to our society. They need the true gospel. They need the truth. And in a world where so many are depressed during the holidays, so many are lonely, so many are hurting, it's not our culture's story, our culture's myth, that's going to give them hope. It's not. It's going to make them feel worse. It's the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus' church, that's going to give them hope. It's not the cultural myths that are going to lead them to a place of belief and trust and hope. It's the story of scripture, period. And we have to be the ones to offer that. And we have to know our stuff. And in order to do that, we have to be credible, right? We have to be the ones who are willing to offer that to people. And so with that, I want to challenge you this morning to think on these things. And I want to challenge you to know the story and to know it well so that you can tell it well. amen amen Amen. if you're here this morning I want to invite you to participate in a benediction a blessing so if you're able to from where you're at uh, stand whether you're sitting or standing I want to ask uh, that you assume a posture of humility and receive this gift by turning your palms upright to our Lord and now receive this blessing brothers and sisters in the faith may we go from this place like the Magi, seeking the great morning star, Jesus. And may we give ourselves to him. May we, too, be like a light shining in a dark world. Remind us all that darkness will not overcome. May we stand for our faith and serve the needy among us like St. Nicholas of Myra. And may we recognize the rich gift of church history that has been passed on to us by all who have gone before us, many even giving their lives for the gospel. And may the love of God the Father, the presence and joy of the Spirit, and the peace of Christ be with you and yours this Advent season and beyond. Amen.